Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education Podcast. Today, we're having a conversation with one of the founding members of Foundation of Freedom, a nonprofit finding creative and innovative ways to increase financial literacy in the Black community. I loved having this conversation, particularly because I wholeheartedly believe that financial literacy is the way to the future for the Black community. Um, There are so many things for us to learn and so many things for us to do, but us being able to take control of our dollar and use it to support businesses that are for us, by us, is the way that we will be able to gain generational wealth and start to break generational curses. So I'm looking forward to everyone who who listens to this podcast to first off, go over to Foundation of Freedom and get as much information as they can to get themselves financially literate, but also to have a conversation here at Black on Black Education about what you learned, what you didn't know, and all the things that you want to learn about financial literacy that you don't yet know so that we can not only take hold of our dollar, but make sure our children understand the importance of theirs. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing your voices about um, this important conversation. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. I am here with another guest and I'm going to give him the honor of letting us all know who he is. Thank you, Ava. So my name is Earl Thomason. I am the executive director uh, and co-founding board chair of Foundation of Freedom. Awesome, awesome. And so Foundation of Freedom, give us the rundown of what that is. Yeah, so essentially Foundation of Freedom is a coalition of value line members of the African diaspora. We all understand that financial freedom is the catalyst for all freedoms. So we want to find a way to use our creativity and innovation to, to push financial literacy, um, creative campaigns, and activism in a way that really uh, uh, liberated our community. So a hundred of us got together, uh, created mm-hmm. Hundred founding members, um, and we are up and running since February February twenty Awesome! And so, kind of give me an idea of how you get a hundred people together <laughs> um, to come up with a mission, to come up with a vision, to come up with like an idea of where you guys want this um, this foundation to go. Yeah, I mean, so luckily because of the times, it was easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, easier done than it sounds, actually. We are in a what I believe to be a financial freedom movement. Mm. We're in a phase of, um, of our empowerment where folks are like, you know, we need to be creating generational wealth. We need financial freedom. I have these degrees, but I'm still in debt. So they're trying to figure out, all right, how can I really do that? So for me to present an idea of a nonprofit that's not trying to take money from you or our community, but create something that's really genuine with a great mission towards that goal, um, people were like, you know what, I'm definitely down. And um, to mm-hmm. be quite frank, throughout the years, we, we built a great network. So it was, it's, it's, it was good to just, you know, call on old friends. Like, you know what, you're doing something dope. Um, you know, we are people of color who have an obligation to help our community. Mm-hmm. No, I, lo- I love the the obligation part. I think that's a big thing that that's causes contention in our community. The idea is like, are we obligated to reach back? And I don't think it's just our community. I think it's like us as human beings, that if that was at the, co- the, the core of what we all believed, um, that we, like, we are obligated to help each other, um, we would see a very different world and the world would look very differently. So I love that, just that phrasing, that it's an obligation to like make sure that we, um, to make sure that we we see each other and we help each other and we work together to create a collective future rather than one that's only that only benefits us as individuals. 
Um, so like, as you know, in the conversations that we've had, Black and Black Education wants to uh, work to bring quality education um, to the Black community. But we want to do that in through traditional and non-traditional means. And so the foundation of freedom, what does that look like for you guys to be helping people through financial literacy and gaining financial freedom, but obviously through the non-traditional lens of schooling as education? Yeah, so um, I think just to go back to like the times, right? We're lucky to be alive right now because we have so much access to information. Um, and it's to a point where it might be too much information. So we, we believe that we have to find ways of making all of this knowledge that we have access to uh, a package, making it comprehensive and curated for our community. So um, that's how we want to develop our platforms. Um, and ironically, we were actually just having a meeting about our first set of curriculums um, this week. And we have great ways of, uh, of coming about it where, um, and I don't want to deep dive into it too much, but essentially, if you want to learn something, uh, just to kind of give an example about um, stocks, options trading, real estate, um, even how to be an entrepreneur, um, we want to be able to give you packages of what's already out there because there's so many dope folks doing great work like Ernie Elysia, Jay Morrison, Kezia Williams, Ian Dunlop. Uh, so we want to be able to say, all right, these, these are people who are doing the work in these specific spaces. Um, but we also want to create original content that allows you to see, all right, I have an option of this curriculum, kind of like what colleges already do, where people go in depth to pay for it. We want to give it to free by curating a curriculum that says, all right, if I learn everything on this list, not extracurriculars, not stuff that's not going to help me in my, in my, in my career or generational wealth, but everything on this list is going to go towards me building generational wealth for my family. Um, so that's, that's how we want to go about it. Uh, and we have the internet. We have you know, the ability to make websites so easily because you have like Squarespace that gives you templates. So it's mm -hmm. such a lesson to be able to do that. So that's why it's even more of an obligation when you know how to do that, you know you have access to that, you know, and contrary to your grandparents or your mother who don't even understand like how to do this stuff, who also need that knowledge, you know what I'm saying? So to be that bridge uh, is what we hope to do. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And so for the folks out there who are listening and who are like, financial freedom sounds great. Financial literacy, like those, those terms sound amazing, but I don't even know what that is. Like, what does that mean? What does it look like in my life? Kind of give them a breakdown of like, what does it look like to be financially free? What does it look like to be financially literate? Yeah. So without, you know, being too much of a scholar in that sense, <laughs> financial freedom, financial literacy is the wealth of knowledge that helps you build wealth. So I'll say that. I think that's a great phrase. Like if you want to know how to have your money work for you, you have to understand and have a, um, a level of insight into financial literacy. So that includes what I just spoke about, um, how to, you know, how to invest in stocks, how to invest in general, whether it's long term, short term, how to um, work on your credit, understanding credit, understanding how to get uh, loans, um, understanding the benefits and downfalls of doing that, understanding how um, just to work the systems in general, same things that our counterparts know how to do and make uh, work for them is it's that wealth of knowledge. Absolutely. And these skills, why are they so important? Like you mentioned um, other communities that, that it seems to us like they have, they have that understanding and, and it's a generational thing where they can pass that understanding that they have down um, gener generation to generation. What, why is it so important to have these skills? And then we're going to switch gears into like, why don't you, why do you think that these skills aren't taught to us in school and are expected to be something that we learn at home? Yeah. But, uh, for your first point, um, it's quality of life, quality of life. Uh, for example, I was raised in Bedford-Stuyvesant here now in the apartment I was raised in. And I remember being 13 and I, and I love my mother. She's a very intelligent woman, but I remember begging her to save because she would complain 
about not having enough money for bills or Christmas or this and that. But she had a great job. My stepfather had a great job. You know, we lived in a house that wasn't too, the overhead wasn't crazy. So it, it just didn't, I couldn't fathom it. And at 13, you know, you would hope that would be the other way around. I was begging her, I'm like, mom, why don't you just save? Like, you save. By the time Christmas comes, I'm breaking down the numbers. You know what I'm saying? So she didn't have that knowledge. She was conditioned, like most of our people are conditioned to just to be capitalized, not be the capitalist in the capitalist society. So if you have that knowledge, and now that I have that knowledge, even if I don't become debt free in my lifetime, my children will be, because I'm going to teach them that. So from the get go, I'll say, learn this stuff, learn what you learn in school, but understand financial literacy, understand how to be an entrepreneur, understand bitch of capitalism, equity crowdfunding, all these tools that allow you to use money to make it work for you. So that changes your quality of life. So I see that in my life. I see that in people who I know who come from different backgrounds who are doing well and um, stuff becomes normal. It becomes normal to have a house. Like in, in my household, my mother got a house and it was a great thing, but it was like, she thought that was the end of life. Like, I, I did it. <laughs> other households, they've normalized so much because it's like, I had that, I had that wealth. My, my parents and their grandparents and their, you know, their grandparents, they had houses. So of course I'm gonna have a house. We have to do so much work to normalize so many things. And I think that's why we have to have financial literacy. At the core, we have to know how to be financially free. Yeah. And so then like moving into the next point of like, if it's so important and if it's something that's so like integral to, to the American dream, to this idea of what it is to live in our sort of society, why is it that they don't teach um, these things in school? Or what your belief system around that? Yeah, that's a great way of, of structuring that. So I, I believe, and it's, 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 it has some, you know, there's some context to it. Our country's history, man, you know, we were built off slavery. So many companies, so many industries were built off of us being slaves. So as we start to get, you know, further away from that, um, as you can see from you and I, we understand better how to maneuver the system, but we're just getting to that place. You know, it, it wasn't so accessible. People worked to do redlining, worked to make sure we weren't in the stock market. The Jobs Act that Obama's administration passed allowed folks like me and you who don't have 200K in assets to then be able to invest in startups. And if you invest in a startup, that startup becomes public, you're a millionaire. So if we don't have access to these different resources and education, of course, uh, we're not going to generate that wealth. And why would you want us to generate that wealth? We have to be the ones to, to you take the money from. You get what I'm saying? Um, unfortunately, somebody's always at the bottom of the totem pole. And I don't, I don't think it has to be like that, but from history, it seems like there's always somebody and our culture has been the victim of that on several occasions to the point where we end up hurting ourselves now just from having a conditioned mentality. So uh, the why is, it's just that, you know, the practice is where our country comes from. It's unfortunate. I love America, but we have a lot of work to do here. Absolutely. And I think every time I have this conversation, I kind of try to reiterate that, um, I went to a majority white high school, a majority Republican high school, which it was very clear that that was their sorts of, that their, that was the, the rhetoric that was happening around me at all times. And I, and it was, and it would always come to, if you hate America so much, why don't you leave? And your last comment was, it's the key. James Baldwin says it. He says something to the effect of, I love America so much that, um, that I will, I will vehemently criticize her because when we love someone, we tell them, homie, (laughs) 
you need to start saving. Like you said to your mom, I love you. So I want you to be able to be free. I want you to be able to, to have the money for Christmas and not feel like you're always behind. That's why we, we criticize the people we love. And so I love the United States. I don't want to live anywhere else, but I do want the United States to hold up to this idea that it was founded on. And I, and I agree with you in the sense of like, our schools don't teach us this because they don't want us to know. And it doesn't matter whether it's a white school or a black school or a low, they don't teach it because they want us to be consumers. They want us to, our capitalist society wants us to continue to consume and not create, continue to be blind and not pay attention to the things that are going on. Cause it's much easier if you're not paying attention to let something slip right by you. And so I think, I think we're definitely on the same page there. I'll say this too. I went to grad school. So I spent about seven years in college as a whole. I didn't learn so many different techniques in, in this education related to financial literacy until after grad school. So until after I'm in debt, you get what I'm saying? They didn't teach me anything in that in period of time. And that's from education systems, from families, from anybody. So it's so it's such a it's such a burden because you have to you have to go through the motions and then realize, oh, this is how we're supposed to do it and figure out how you can get out of that dump because you've already, you know, just me speaking from my experience, I've already gotten so much debt. So I'm like, all right, how can I make sure I'm good while also teaching everybody else how not to do this? And that's why I say it's an application because we have so much work to do in that space where people are all figuring out like, yo, we got to build generation wealth, but I got to pay bills now. I'm in debt now. I got, you know, I got this now. I got so many kids now and I got to make sure that they're good too. But I, now that I know, we got to play from behind. So yeah. it's, such a, it's such a multifaceted issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about um, the idea of economically organizing our communities. Um, I think that we see this plainly. I grew up in Rockland County. So anybody who's listening who grew up in Rockland County knows the Spring Valley Muncie area. And we know that Jewish people run it like period, like the whole thing, every store, every just that's all them. And I love the idea of having like communities so collective and obviously not, um, I don't want diversity and I don't, that's not what I'm saying at all, but the ability to, to collectively own businesses, the, the ability to collectively work together and then support the businesses that people who look like you um, create. I, I saw that my entire childhood, all the time, all the time. Every community you go in, everybody in the in the building looks the same. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I read a book about, about um, who again, not trying to say I wanna go back to segregation, not at all. But the economic benefits that there were in the black community for the idea that we were, we had to be close knit, we had to support each other. And then we moved into an economic, um, an economic space where we don't. And it's easier to buy clothes from the Gap than it is to buy clothes from the, the, the person online who's selling their own shirts that might be a little bit more expensive than what's com- coming out of the Gap because of all of these layers of how difficult it is for, for people of color to get into entrepreneurship. And so what does it look like to economically organize our community and create spaces where Black folks are supporting Black businesses and where we are less consuming, um, where we can spend our Black dollar <laughs> we can spend our dollar um, and stretch our dollar within um, Black-owned businesses. Yeah, I think you've already painted a picture. <laughs> yeah. does it so well already. The Asian community does it so well already. So we see how it looks when you're saying, all right, we're all going to stick together. We're going to put our money to this. We're going to buy all these houses, all these apartments, 
all these brownstones. We're going to have these businesses. We're going to have our own school buses. We're going to have our own everything. And if anything happens, we're going to organize against it. We're going to make sure they hear our voice, make sure public officials hear our voice. Uh, and we're going to support each other's business. You know, that's, that's what it looks like. We already have models. We, we already had it too, obviously, because um, we are uh, the ones who have to get attacked for some reason in America, even after being slaves. Um, th- those communities were destroyed. So we already have the model. We already know what it looks like. It's just, it's, it's a little more difficult because now we have to be playing from behind. Like I said earlier, several times already, we have to play from behind. So folks like you and I have to educate our community and then recondition ourselves to think a certain way that allows that to actually happen. Because what happens is we, we're raised a certain way. Mm-hmm. You have to unlearn certain things and then make it practicality. And yeah. that process is so much longer than if you already are put into a system that's already grouped, it's already economically organized. And you're saying, okay, uh, this is how we're going to do this because this, this is the result it is. And your whole life you're practicing that. Your mentality is different. You don't have a crab in a barrel mentality. Yeah. You, know, you understand how to work with your community. You trust each other. You love each other. There's a value system that's really put in play. So that's how it looks. And the work is just it's, it's, it's a little more difficult for us because we have to both fight systematic oppression and hold ourselves accountable. Yeah. yeah. And, and holding those two things are very, very difficult, especially in a time of social media especially in a time where everyone has an opinion and you hear all the opinions and we get inundated with them. Um, but it, it is like, how do we hold, how do we walk and chew gum at the same time? How do we say that I want my community to do better in its own right, while also saying that there is systemic problems that need to be changed. And I think both of those things have to happen at the same time. And if we don't have both those conversations at the same time, we don't fix the problem. Exactly. Um, and so we have spoken about finding the intersection between creativity and economic advancement. And so why is it so important to make this information digestible? I think because of what you said, social media, man, and, and all these different outlets to utilize creativity. We are creative at the core. Mm-hmm. Our people are like it's nothing out of thin air. We, we're magic. So we, are, we both run culture and are influenced by it the most. Mm-hmm. So you have to make things digestible. You have to use your creativity to push financial literacy, to push these value systems that help us organize our community. So you have to find an intersection between uh, the creative arts, creative campaigns, and that knowledge. Because, you know, most of us, if we read a book, we're probably falling asleep. We're hearing a speech for too long. We've got a short attention span. Yep. We find creative ways of preaching, creative ways of getting our community to be like, you know what, that's right. And I like the way you did that in a poem. I like mm-hmm. the way you did that in a film. And you see the results. You see how films come out. Black Panther comes out. Essentially, it's, a, it's an animated, or like not animated, it's real people. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> Afrocentric way, um, Afrofuturistic way of showing, all right, this is how a community could be, uh, you know, obviously centuries from now. But that was a way of people saying, okay, you know what? We need to be Wakanda. We need yeah. to be together. That's, that's the result. It shows you a new dream. I had this thing where mm-hmm. I understand how Martin Luther King um, has such an impact was I have a dream speech. He gave us a goal to work towards. You get what I'm saying? Uh, when Obama became president, folks said, oh, that's the dream come true. Hope. Mm-hmm. See, now we got Trump. And not to be, you know, partisan or anything like that, you understand the leadership change and the fact that now we still have work to do even after that dream. So what's the new dream? Yep. How do you create the ways of showing our community what the new dream is? Absolutely. You know so we have to find um, innovative, and, and, and I'll make this point too, it has to be consistent. Because there's so much content out, because there's so much happening at one time, we have to be consistently pushing this agenda in a creative way, in an innovative way to our community. So we have to find an intersection. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's so, and then there's also just so much space for distraction. 
Um, there's so much space for distraction. Like I'm looking and I'm listening to earn your leisure, but then TikTok, and you're like, Oh, (laughs) so it's just so easy to get distracted. So easy to step out of what it is that you originally were seeking. Because again, like you said, there's so much information coming from so many different places. So it's like, how do I, how do I, how do we capture, um, people's beliefs? That's why I think like Quibi, I don't know if you you like the incredible like what it what it what an incredible like i'm watching some of this stuff on there and i'm like they really just did something like <laughs> because like i watched the first couple of episodes of lebron show and i'm like this is a this is an incredible way to have the conversation about education and it only takes 10 minutes exactly so i love that and i hopped on i watched the um chance the rapper uh mtv the punk episode yeah and i'm telling my friends i'm like yo they've normalized like making quality films in eight minutes that's changing the game i'm like how did i watch punks before because this is perfect exactly <laughs> capture our attention for so long that they made these long-winded things and it was like quibi saying we can make quality to the same extent and mm-hmm. capture people the same way Absolutely. in a short period of time you know so that's creativity that's that's a good example of saying all right let's Innovation. find creativity. Absolutely. That's yeah. And like, we have to think about how incredible the writers have to be, how incredible all of the creatives that are involved have to be to make it something that really captures you. And then it's over in 10 minutes. Like I watched uh, the the first episode of survive and I'm like, Oh, and then I could watch the whole season and not have lost 16 hours of my life. Look at this. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of moving back into our conversation about, uh, finances and getting our finances right. Um, you said financial freedom is a catalyst for for all the rest of our freedom. What does this quote mean to you? And and how does the how does the foundation of freedom strategically plan to um, to create or to even like uplift that quote in our community? Yeah. So I think in each generation there were folks who were around our age who used their youth to push a certain level of freedom. Obviously. Mm-hmm is physical freedom. Uh, you know, the civil rights era, they're fighting for our civil rights. Mm-hmm. Um, they've given us so much access, so much knowledge, put us in so many different um, areas and positions and industries that now I think our job, our generation needs to realize financial freedom is the next type of freedom we need to push for. And once we find that freedom, we've, we've taken the baton a little closer to the, to the actual dream. So that's what we mean, like financial. And this is not saying like, to discredit any other freedoms at all. Yeah. Uh, but financial freedom, if you break it down, if you look at all the social issues we, we try to touch on, criminal justice system, police brutality, gentrification, when you get to the core of it, it has something to do with money. Mm-hmm. Has something to do with money. Absolutely. With us not having money or somebody having money that they want to make off of us. So we need to understand how to get financially free, how that system works, how those systems work, and then normalize that. So our job as Foundation of Freedom is to normalize it. It's mm-hmm. to normalize your understanding of financial literacy. It's normalize the values that we should hold, uphold as a community so we can use group economics, have collective working responsibility, unity. It's for us to make the, the most creative campaigns, projects, products, platforms that allow you to see, all right, this is the way we're going to go about uh, becoming like you know, Black Wall Street. And, uh, and, and, and utilizing our skills and talents, monetizing our creativity to be financially free and changing our quality of life. So that's our job with financial freedom. We gotta, we gotta, we're normalizing that concept. Absolutely. And I think that that's a, 
a great way to frame it just from the standpoint of like, I think that's a question that a lot of activists are asking themselves right now. Um, we want to change. We want to fix the fix the world. We want to create a better a better world for our children, for our children, for generations to come. And so, in doing that, we don't have a civil rights movement. We don't have like this is the thing. Boom. We have a bunch of tiny movements all happening at the same time, and we're like, how do we handle this? And I think framing it of like we need to move into this this movement for financial freedom because again, it does help us create <laughs> um, a a. The, it gives us the ability to be more free. So I, I definitely appreciate that breakdown. That's awesome. And so I kind of asked you all my questions. We just like banged through that. It was amazing. Um, and so we kind of round out all of our conversations um, with giving you the opportunity to ask us any questions and kind of like flip the role um, uh, from, from interviewer to interviewee. <laughs> That's great. I, I actually want to know, how does your organization plan on doing this? No education route. Is the podcast the only platform you want to create? What's your, your goal looking like? Our goal, our end goal is, is very, we, we want to we continue that social media push. We want to continue the podcast and having conversations about what uh, creating an education system that is for social justice, that is, that is for uh, the advancement of all people in, and, and mean that. <laughs> so a lot of people say all all kids go through this all kids are struggling all people need help and I'm like that's fantastic but when you're not looking at the ones who are marginalized the ones who are are underserved underfunded then you're not looking at all exactly. you're, you're looking at a particular you're looking at an average you're looking at 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 a thing that doesn't exist in our current society and so what we need to do is work on pushing um the needs of the most marginalized and the most um, need those students, when we push for them, all other students get a better, better education. Um, and, and so in terms of black on black education, the podcast will continue in that sense. But in the next 10, 15 years, we're going to be a physical space in New York city that is collectively owned by the community members who come and live inside of that space who are inside of that space and we want to give supplemental education to students who aren't getting what they need at school um so you can go to school all day and your parents still work so you come right over to us after school and your financial literacy class is there and your health class and your sexual education class and your drug um <laughs> your your class your harm reduction conversation around around drug abuse is happening there your parents don't have a high school diploma well you can get um, you can get that there and have it be a community center, but that's community owned by all those who decided that this is a space where they want to advance their education. I love that. Idea. Yeah. On that point, this is my last question. Yeah. Something I've um, just been analyzing with our community. Have you had issue pushing this financial literacy or education to people who look like us, to our community? Like, how, what, have you had difficulty saying, okay, this is the way and got pushback? You know, is, is that a process that you've been going through? Absolutely. I'm the oldest of four. Um, my mom is my mother. Love her to death. But uh, we don't have a very close relationship for various reasons. And um, they have a perspective of money um, that is, I have to have it. I want it all the time. Money is necessary. It's the, like, it is me. I need to, I need money. And it's like, for what? 
oh, because I want to buy a new Gucci belt, or oh, I want to go buy da 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 da, or oh, I, I'm a, I'm gonna be a, a multi-billionaire, and I'm like, doing what? I don't know yet, but I'm just gonna, and it's just like, it's a constant, like my it's a constant need. It's always about the money. Isn't about being able to be free. The money is about being able to continue to have someone else take my money <laughs> and they don't see it that way. So definitely get pushed back all the time. My sister, who's the, who's she's 20. She's done the best of starting to inch toward like, okay, I'm, I save now. I save a little bit. And so we're, 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 we're getting closer and closer there. My brother just got his first job. So he's like, Oh, when I get my first job, I'm gonna go buy me a, I said, Listen, when I got my first job, I was excited to spend money too. But you know how much more money I would have if I started saving when I was 14, when I started working? Um, we'd be in a very different, we'd be having a very different conversation. I'd be on some very different vacations. I would have a lot, like, I would be doing a lot of different things if I was smart enough to realize, like, I was making really, really good money at 14. Like, to be 14, having no bills, making $10 an hour, working 20 hours a week. Like I was balling out of control, but I was at the mall every weekend. Yeah. So trying to kind of curb that. And I've definitely gotten the pushback of like, well, money is a social construct. So stop it. Now you're trying to be too woke. Get out of here with that. Like, please. Well, conversation needs to happen too. I hope you do a podcast on that. Oh, we do. We, we, do. we can do a podcast on that. <laughs> Like people, the people who are like, yeah, it's a social construct. So if I just want to have it, I can have it because you know we gotta just live till we die. And I'm like, you're not gonna be saying that when you're 65 and still gotta go to work at Target. Struggling. I was so yo. I know a few <laughs> people, a few people who are should be retired right now, gotta work because they don't have it. They don't have it. And that's not where I'm trying to be at all. I'm trying to be in the hills of Jamaica near a, near a hospital. <laughs> Might I add? near a hospital because the ambulance is not coming but that's where I'm trying to be after I turn 65 so I'm putting myself in the position to be financially free <laughs> thank you so much it's been an awesome conversation um yeah say bye to everybody and also let everyone know where they can find um your information and all the stuff that you and financial freedom foundation of freedom are doing <laughs> Yeah, so you can follow Foundation of Freedom at offreedom.org. That's O-F Freedom Org. Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, we have Facebook. Uh, we have a LinkedIn. We're trying to get on TikTok. Bear with us. <laughs> Love it. I'm uh, at Earl Thompson Jr. on Instagram. Uh, I believe it's the same on Twitter. I'm trying to get a Twitter game, but I'm not too strong with that yet. But you can find me on there, too. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We learned so much in this conversation and I will send as many people your way as I can so that they can get financially free as soon as possible. <laughs> Thank you so much.